Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah, they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. What are you doing down here, you shiny man? Thanks very much for joining us in Second Captains at the Irish Times, show number three of the day. No sooner have we put shows one and two out that Neil Lennon goes and resigns as Celtic manager. And I must say, if our journalistic antennae went way up. Yeah, well, even just to, to picture the scene here, we're in Second Captains Towers. And in the middle of the office, there is just one little plinth with a red phone and there's a bell jar over the red phone. Mm. So obviously it never rings, only in moments of high, high dungeon, right? So the phone rings, producer Mark Horgan answers the phone, says, okay, 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 hangs up the phone and then sounds the second second captain's news horn, which means that no matter where we are in the world, be that Dublin, our own offices, or Lisbon for the Champions League final, we all immediately assemble for a crisis meeting. Ken, you heard the news horn over there in Lisbon? Yes, uh, I was so delighted to hear that sound. Oh, <laughs> Just as you're getting the feet under the table there, preparing your Champions League coverage, we hit you with some Neil Lennon news. More journalism. So, uh, yeah, I was, I, I was excited. It's, a, it's an exciting day. A lot of stuff happening. It's not even just limited to... Uh, to Neil and his decision to, to leave. It's just, it just seems to be one of the busiest football news days of the year. Yeah, well, I, know, been... I know you're quite taken by Paul Scholes' latest explosive media performance, so we're gonna, we'll talk about that later on. But John Hartson earlier this year said in 50 years' time, no one will question Neil's title wins and say, ah, but Rangers are out of the league at that point. No one will point that out if Celtic win 10 in a row. It will just be Neil Lennon boss during 10 in a row. Now, he only got to three in a row in the end before calling it quits. Um, is Hartson being a little bit optimistic there? Surely it's, it's almost impossible to really... I, I, I've even heard the question today of where Lennon stacks up compared to Martin O'Neill and compared to Gordon Strachan, which is a fair question, but it's really hard to answer given that it's a totally different environment that he's been operating in. It's impossible to answer. Um, and I suppose, the, the you know, unfortunately for Neil Lennon, it, people will answer it by, you know, I mean, I'll, you, you can't really compare, I suppose, across crosshairs, but everyone will say, well, Rangers weren't even there. So... Uh, 
there's you know it's not a, not a case of an asterisk being next to the championships. They're real championships, but um, the fact is that they were secured in a less competitive a less competitive league than than all of the other titles that Celtic have won. You and that's just, Champions League. that's just a fact of it. You know, it's not a, it's not a judgment on Neil Lennon. Yeah. I mean, that's the that's the reason that effectively he's he's decided to leave the job. Well, I mean, that is the main reason. Um, I mean. Were, were there circumstances in which Neil Lennon could have stayed? I think there are. I mean, Celtic are owned by an immensely wealthy man, uh, Dermot Desmond, who doesn't uh, take the sugar daddy approach uh, that we see certain other immensely wealthy men uh, taking with their clubs. You know, he's not a guy who's going to um, pour his own money into the club, bring exciting players to Glasgow, give the Celtic fans a team that, you know, it's going to excite them. Even if there is no Rangers, they can still go and see a great team full of great players. Instead, it's more sort of, uh, let's try and make do on the small budget that competing in Scottish football affords us. Let's be very cautious. Let's be very conservative. Let's not take any risks. Um, Even if it does mean, you know, getting into the Champions League um, or making it more likely that that we will get into the Champions League, you know, let's... Let's not gamble anything on on taking that opportunity. Let's just kind of put her along here um, at the top of this um, molehill that is Scottish football at the moment. And and I guess it's you know if if you're an ambitious um, if you're an ambitious professional, be it a football player or a manager, uh, ultimately I suppose you, maybe you're going to want to uh, test yourself um, in a more serious way. Yeah, we can't forget that Lennon did qualify. Celtic for the Champions League knockout stages in 2012, 2013 and oh, had, he did. No, had a famous win over Barcelona. So that stands out above and beyond anything that he did domestically. Mm, yeah, I mean, absolutely. The, the victory over Barcelona, I guess, is the is the high point really of, of Neil Lennon's time at Celtic. You know, it wasn't their only year. But even last season when they had a bad season in the Champions League, they still, they still did manage to beat Ajax. And the thing is that the Celtic board, and or more particularly the Celtic owner, doesn't take the view that... Um, uh, you know, he he should try and be a little bit more ambitious with the spending. I mean, he's not he's not going to do that, which is fair enough. You know, he's completely entitled to run the club whatever way he wants. Um, but at the end of the day, I suppose you get a you you end up with an institution that is, uh, you know, without without Rangers uh, being there, just didn't really have the capacity to hold people's interest. Yeah, Roddy Forsyth, BBC Scotland commentator, has uh, joined us just now. Thanks for talking, Roddy. I'm sure it's a busy day for you there. Now, there had been a lot of pointers that this could happen in recent times. Is there anything surprising at all about the decision or about the manner of the decision? Well, I was aware in recent weeks that Neil Lennon was considering options, and those options were not necessarily other clubs, uh, just the fact that uh, he could continue with Celtic as is, um, or he could decide to take a break and see what would happen. Now, for him to take a break would indicate that he feels he has taken the club as far as he can. He told me last year, actually, um, that he had been a little bit uh, put out that when Everton, for example, were considering replacing Davy Moyes, they hadn't looked at him. Now, one may very well say yes, but he hasn't been a Premier League manager in England. Having said that, uh, he is a manager who's taken... Celtic to the last 16 of the Champions League which is something that Manchester City have done and no better uh, on a far far greater budget and don't forget that uh, uh, Celtic beat Barcelona on their way to do that the problem he's had over the last couple of years is that without Rangers in the top league in Scotland the championship is a given the season before this Celtic didn't play notably well to win it he demanded an increase in standard this year and he got it 
Um, but other than, say, winning the Scottish domestic treble and taking Celtic to the quarter-finals of the Champions League, uh, there wouldn't be anything left for him to do. Now, don't discount the fact that the quarter-finals of the Champions League was a target for him, but it could only be a realistic target if he felt he had the budget to pursue it. And with Celtic looking at lower gates while Rangers are out of the top league, there's a collision of interest there and, and really... Um, something that couldn't be squared and as I understand it that's what's brought this about. Roddy, would this tend to buttress the, the claims of those who said that Celtic and Rangers need each other that what seemed like a you know at times hateful rivalry was in fact a kind of symbiosis? Well Celtic and Rangers both for the better part of a century and certainly in recent years when the stadiums became all seated um, sold season tickets on the basis that the purchasers of those tickets would be guaranteed a place at the Old Firm Derbies. Take the Old Firm Derbies out of the equation, and Celtic season tickets dropped significantly more than Rangers did. Rangers at least had the novelty of playing up through three new divisions, and their fans wished to show that they were going to stay behind them. But from Celtic fans' point of view, the main attraction of the season had gone uh, in terms of domestic football, and what then interested them was Champions League group stage football. And so the pressure was on Neil Lennon. He told me last summer that he was um, having sleepless nights, not during the Champions League group stage, and he didn't have them when they were in the Champions League last 16, but he did have them during the qualifiers because so much depended, the budget for the year, the general well-being of the club, depended upon getting into the group stage and having European football at least up until Christmas. And I think that... Um, with the possibility, of course, of losing, for example, Fraser Foster and Virgil van Dijk in the summer, and that's a live possibility here. Uh, if that were to happen and he did not have the budget to replace them, then it would be very difficult for him, I think, to continue to subject himself to this kind of pressure. And having said that, one must, one must have sympathy with uh, Dermot Desmond and Peter Law to some degree because they can see income dropping. They want to keep a, a, an ambitious manager, but at the same time, they can't gamble with money that's not there. Yeah, it's a classic conundrum facing uh, a lot of clubs, I guess, and Celtic would be seen as uh, a club that's been run very well, but uh, that's all well and good to a point. The, the Lennon, the, is the issue about the budget, about the amount of money available, or is it as much about control? Is, is, is there a sense that Lennon feels, okay, I, I accept that there's not the budget there that there are in other clubs, in other leagues, but I feel like maybe I just don't have any control. Any of these players could be taken away at any moment from me and there's nothing I can do about it. Yes, well, he, he's accepted for a long time that so long as the, there is a significant difference between the Scottish broadcast revenues that come in from television and those available to the Premier League, I mean, it's a colossal difference. He's accepted that Celtic will fundamentally be a selling club and that the... Uh, the philosophy at Celtic is to search the world for players. They have a very, very good scouting network and then bring them to Celtic Park uh, and add value to them. Now, what they do to bring players to Celtic Park is say, if you come here, we can give you European football and we will expose you. If, we, if you do well with us, you'll be seen by Premier League clubs and that can be your next move. And that attracts players um, and likewise, it gives Celtic the, the chance to add value. But it also means that Celtic are fundamentally a selling club in those circumstances. And if you actually look at the difference between what Celtic have brought in and what they have spent in, the, in Lennon's time, there is a significant difference because, of course, Aidan McGeady falls into the selling bracket and that, that, that took the, outgo, sorry, the incoming money rather than the outgoing money uh, up very significantly. I just think after four years, if Rangers had been 
in the Premier League next season. Paradoxically, Celtic would and could have spent more and would and possibly could have been able to keep Neil Lennon. Yeah, I mean, I take your point, Roddy, about the, the Scottish football broadcast revenues being negligible compared to, you know, for instance, the Premier League. But there are a lot of selling clubs around Europe. I mean, all, all the clubs in Holland, all the clubs in Belgium, even Atletico Madrid, who are in the Champions League final, are, are fundamentally a selling club. Um, the big advantage that Celtic have is that relatively easy path into the Champions League. I mean, it's, you know, they're going to have to go through a qualifier, but they've, they've shown that they're usually able to do that. Why is the board? Why is the Celtic board not prepared to not prepared to give them the financial support to put in place a team that's likely to win a Champions League qualifier? Because the current team clearly isn't. Well, they're not. They're not faced with one Champions League qualifier. It's worth pointing out that they they go in in the second qualifying round in mid July. So they've got to get through that one, then the third qualifying round, and then the playoff. Now that's the same as they did last year. So there are six potentially hazardous games. Uh, to be negotiated before you get into the Champions League. And remember, Celtic, it, it was a very close goal against Shakhtar Karagandi um, in the playoff this season. Uh, so from the point of view, if you're trying to uh, balance a budget or keep the, keep the club from doing what Rangers did, um, then you can do a certain amount of incremental increases in budget spending, but you can't ever allow yourself to have a wage bill in the summer that will not be met in the rest of the season. And I think the other difficulty for Neil Lennon, and I think this is a very significant difficulty, when Rangers first disappeared down the divisions, Celtic uh, won the championship at Hakanta, but they didn't play particularly well. They, 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 they were winning it so easily that they took their eye off the ball, and between February and May, they didn't win a game away from home. Now, Lennon was not happy with that, and he demanded better from the team this season. Well, they very nearly came through the whole season unbeaten, uh, not quite, but close, and they, got, they were playing good football, to a diligent, uh, a diligent football to a decent standard, but that was achieved, and the same applies again next year. Still no Rangers. And I just think that there's an element, Neil, Neil's a near neighbour of mine, and I'm going to miss him when he goes, because he's, he's a great source of chat about football, and we met each other regularly, I do feel he was uh, beginning to find that the demands of the domestic season were non-existent and were appalling. He said to me last year, a year ago, what is there left for me? But he was persuaded by Dermot and Peter Law to remain, um, and that there were new horizons. It just looks as though these horizons are now located in England. Yeah, it's funny, uh, Roddy, because we interviewed Neil Lennon a while back on our, our TV show, and I remember in the research for that, we focused a certain amount of time on the incident at the Tyne Castle this year when uh, Hearts fans threw coins at him. Eventually, Lennon decided he had to leave the game early and it was the first time that kind of thing had reared its head in a while. I read a couple of interesting pieces that you've written over the years about that, about how some, the idea that Lennon has brought this upon himself to a certain extent and uh, how... I, I disagree with of course yeah yeah so sorry yeah that the, you were you were um, dismissing that idea and I, I think quite rightly uh, but the fact that it's a, it's a double-edged sword with Rangers not being there because I would have thought in some ways it's a much easier life for him that Hearts incident seemed like such an aberration because it doesn't happen anymore and I would have thought maybe if you get another one year without the hassle of everything that the Rangers fixtures brings and you get to bring your team hopefully into a Champions League final win another league I, I, I'm, in a way I'm surprised maybe that he didn't that he didn't just go with that because it seems like uh, I don't want to say a cushy gig there's a lot, of, a lot of pressure but not the same as when Rangers are involved No there's no question about that by the way we should uh, 
uh, not give credit where it's due, but debit where it's due. It was Aberdeen fans. Of course, who, sorry, in the, uh, cup, in the cup game, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Scottish Cup semi-final, yeah. uh, quarter-final rather. But um, yes, I mean, the, he is torn. One, one of the things that you shouldn't discount, and one of the things that's perhaps kept him here um, considerably longer than he would have been, he actually loves Glasgow. Now, despite certain things that have happened to him over the years, he loves the place. He lives, as I think I said to you, just about three, 400 yards from where I'm speaking to you just now. Um, the, we, we, we live in a, a, an area of the city that's uh, it's not quite like uh, Temple Bar in Dublin, but it has the same kind of mix of good restaurants, pubs, a lively nightlife. And he only lives about three or 400 yards from the main street, as do I. I, I quite often see him. There are three pubs he likes to go to. He has his corner in one of them, for example. Um, and people, people approach him and chat to him, and he enjoys that kind of life, and his wife and son enjoy that life. There, that's going to be a real range for him because he's, you know... He, he comes from Northern Ireland, he's played in England, but he values the city. So it has to be something very significant that's moving him on. Yes, I agree, there's a certain element of cushy number about it. And he did say to us quite recently, you know, um, the aim would be, if I stay on, the aim would be to win the treble and get into the quarterfinal of the Champions League. Well, I think it's the Champions League. That's the thing that would have kept him going if he thought there was a realistic chance of doing that. And so I suspect that that's where the, the, the matter has stalled. Um, catch-22, if you're Celtic board, you can't outlay money that you can't be sure of getting back. And on the other hand, if you're Neil Lennon, you need the money to take Celtic on. Yeah, so I mean, I remember seeing Neil Lennon on Match of the Day two, maybe um, during the season, and uh, I think it was just after, was it just after, maybe just before Chris Hewton had been sacked, and he certainly didn't seem to be um, completely ruining himself out of the running for the Norwich job. I, I wondered, Roddy, essentially, if you, uh, I mean, it, it seems to be that, uh, that Lennon doesn't have anything lined up, but would you expect him to be back and working? And, and if so, would he be targeting a, a Premier League job or, uh, or just essentially any job south of the border? I'd be surprised if he goes for Norwich for two reasons. First of all, they're not a Premier League club. And secondly, um, it's a great contrast to the kind of lifestyle that he enjoys now. He likes a city lifestyle. Um, so I would think that it would be much more attractive to go to the likes of Birmingham, uh, where West Brom available. I certainly think he wants to be in the Premier League. He, was, he did say to me last year that he was a little put out that Everton hadn't considered him when they were trying to fill the Davy Moyes gap. Um, he feels he, ha he has handled a big club under pressure. It's often not seen outside Scotland just how big a club Celtic are and how great the pressure is on you, even in years such as you've just been referring to where there's not much of a domestic challenge. Uh, as he said, the Champions League qualifiers left him an insomniac throughout the summer and he said he was up in the middle of the night pacing the floor, worrying, fretting and that didn't happen when he got to the Champions League group stage and I think that's a very significant comment anyway, I believe he's going to take a bit of a break with his family and uh, consider what comes, I don't think it will be long before there are clubs after him and I do expect him to be a manager in England, probably in the Premier League before too long Roddy Forsyth, listen, great to talk to you, thanks so much for taking the time all the best. Bye-bye. All of that leads us on, Ken, to talking about who might potentially take over, whatever about where Neil Lennon goes. I am interested, particularly in the name David Moyes, which is being bandied about today as a possible Celtic manager. Yeah, the name David Moyes is being bandied about today as a possible Celtic manager, but also in connection with an incident in a bar in Blackpool, it appears. Go on. Um, well, the Blackpool Gazette um, reports, police are investigating an alleged minor scuffle in a wine bar at the same time as former Manchester United manager David Moyes is having a drink with a friend. 
Mr. Moyes, who succeeded Sir Alex Ferguson, blah, blah, was in the Emporium Wine Bar and Restaurant in Moor Lane with another man on Wednesday evening. Uh, so the police say, police are investigating a report of an assault at the Emporium Wine Bar in Clitheroe. Officers attended the bar at about 10 p.m. on Wednesday, and it was reported that a 23-year-old local man had been assaulted by a 51-year-old man. He did not require hospital treatment. Inquiries are ongoing. Uh, there are a number of differing accounts which we need to work through to try to establish exactly what has happened. No one has been arrested at this stage. Um, so so that's uh, that's the latest. Yeah. Um, as to whether David Moyes would manage Celtic, I would be really surprised if it was a job that he was interested in. Uh, why would he want to go and manage Celtic? Uh, I, I mean, I'm sure his, uh, you know, there's probably a local team that he could manage uh, without having to move house, which would which would be about as professionally challenging uh, for somebody like David Moyes. I'm sure that he would manage. He, he would want to uh, manage, you know, a team in a, in a more serious league. I mean, is, is he is he really ready for for Celtic at this stage? Oh, you know, I, I, I'd be amazed if he was interested. Well, he played for Celtic. Maybe there's a personal connection there. Maybe you know. I mean, it would have to be. It, it would really have to be, wouldn't it? As sort of a personal, personal reasons or or sort of sentimental reasons. I mean, Celtic's manager has just left because he felt there was, you know, he essentially. I don't want to say he's bored of his job, but that it was like it wasn't that the, the job was was not challenging enough for him. That's the it's a it's a really unusual situation, Celtic. Green. It's a bad blow, I think, to the self esteem of the club. Where a manager walks away because effectively the club can't really offer. Usually, Celtic managers, uh, you know, get sacked. You know, I mean, if they or they get a, they get a better job offer somewhere. You know, maybe that's another reason why they leave. But usually, people don't usually walk away. This is not a club that people walk away from. It didn't. It didn't used to be. It is now. And if David Moyes wants to go and, and manage Celtic now, I, I I really would be astonished. I'm sure that there's got to be a better job uh, that David Moyes. Uh, would be able to get. You have to think long and hard about the type of supporter that Celtic have as well and what sort of respect they might have for them because this is the type of fan that he encountered in Manchester. This is a YouTube clip from March on the Full-Time Devils channel. Mr Tate, how you doing? Not too good after tonight. Uh, what else can be said? Tactically, again, backwards. Miser, second goal went in, sat, sat behind there, sulking in his chair. The only good one tonight was Wayne Rooney. He tried and he tried. And what what do you give? He's on a six-year contract. He's best mates with Fergie. The Glaziers, they don't know nothing about football, but eventually it will become a financial decision. Next Tuesday, April Fool's Day, he's the biggest fool in Manchester. And that is you, David Myers. You have lost the fans tonight. You don't deserve the fans. You don't deserve anything from this club. You got the job on the technicality of a legend who recommended you. You are nothing. You are a fool. And you are a waste of time. Good night. Well, you know, I mean... Let's at least hope that he goes about getting the Celtic job in the correct way, Murph, rather than the, the technicality. Of yeah, apparently, a... that's the one thing you don't want to get a job on, which is the technicality. Also, if you've got to sulk in your chair after your team concedes a goal, yeah. you're not going to concede anyway. I don't care if it's Old Trafford, Celtic Park. It's just got to stand up there and happen. make yourself seen. Yeah. I, don't, I really don't know that that man knows mm-hmm. the football, but nevertheless, maybe that's the maybe is that the kind of guy he has to, he has to deal with in Glasgow, Ken? I don't think so. You mentioned a couple of other things have moved on. One of them is Luis Suarez, which we were chatting about a little bit earlier on. And the mixed messages about whether or not he's going to be able to play in the World Cup. He's having this operation on his uh, knee, a meniscus issue, but uh, his, re- his representative seems pretty certain that he's only going to be out for a couple of weeks and he'll be good to go. 
I'm a little bit skeptical about this story um, because, okay, so Suarez injures his knee yesterday. Uh, they send him for an MRI, and he's apparently already had arthroscopy. Okay, so um, this is an injury to his meniscus, uh, which is, you know, I mean, usually you're talking about a couple of, a few weeks out, you know, I mean, if, you, if you've got an injured meniscus, I suppose it depends on how, uh, on how badly injured it is. Now, they're saying that, he'll be fine for the World Cup. But, you know, to be honest, I'd be surprised if they were saying anything else at this stage. Um, whether that really means that he will be fine, well, I'm not sure. And I'd love to know what Liverpool make of it as well, because it all seems to have happened very quickly. I mean, obviously, Luis Suarez's priority now is playing well in the World Cup for Uruguay. If he thinks that he needs an operation on his knee and the Uruguayan doctors think he needs an operation, you know, he's going to have the operation. Liverpool <laughs> are just going to have to deal with it. I think that's pretty much the way that it works. But, you know, as, as to whether he's going to be back in... You know, maybe he'll be out there. Maybe he'll be maybe he'll be out playing, but he's clearly going to miss some training. And whether I mean, I don't know any player on who uh, misses weeks due to injury and then returns at the absolute peak of his powers. It's a point that I made. To, yeah, it's a point I made to Murphy earlier on that I, I feel that Wayne Rooney's a prime example of somebody who has suffered with this on a couple of occasions in big tournaments. Mm. But he's I, both myself and Murphy came to the conclusion maybe Suarez is a little bit different if he manages to get fit enough just to be out on the pitch. His attitude, to things, the way he he seems to be an unbelievably positive person about the impact he can make on the field at all times. Luis Suarez, maybe along with the manic intensity he brings, that could be enough to get him over a bit of rustiness. Yeah, but the intensity on is physical. It's not just it's not just a question of attitude. It's a, I mean, the attitude is what makes him go and contest these balls. I mean, you know what what does the thing that Luis Suarez does that's that's so impressive. I mean, he does a lot of impressive things, but one of the things that's that's amazing and particularly valuable to a team like Uruguay is the way that you can play pretty much any kind of ball up into um, the the opposing team's half. And Luis Suarez will be there, scrap the ball. He will get to the ball. Uh, at the same time as the defender, he'll shoulder the defender, he'll knock him off balance, he'll be able to kind of twist around him. It requires brute physical strength to do these things. It's not just a question of the desire to want to get in and do it. You also have to be strong and fit to do it. And Suarez has got an incredible injury record. I mean, he seems to be, uh, you know, a fantastic natural athlete. Um, but suddenly, you know, just before the World Cup, buying injury to the meniscus, you're not, you're not talking about the same player. It doesn't matter what your attitude is. It doesn't matter how much talent you have. If your legs aren't working properly, you're not going to be much of a footballer. All right, very quickly, Paul Scholes' appearance today. <laughs> Paul Scholes. I mean, we had been... Uh, everyone was wowed by Paul Scholes' punditry debut on Sky Sports recently when he took the hammer to Jack Wilshire and, and pretty much demolished his reputation, uh, saying that he hadn't um, improved since he was 17. Well, he seems to have kind of... He's he's showed at least with his his uh, his debut blog on the Paddy Power uh, website that he is um, he's not gonna he's not gonna let his hands be tied by club loyalties because he's written some fairly damning things about Wayne Rooney. I mean it's he it's it's just, I'm not quite sure where Skulls is coming from with this. Whether he thinks maybe he wants to actually spur Rooney into playing a little bit better. Is that, is that the purpose of what he's saying? Because he does leaven what he says with some praise. I mean, the, here's the praise first. He says, you know, Wayne is different. You know, he loves, he loves playing football. He's like a school kid. You can't stop him training in a day and age when many players don't really want to train properly. His best attributes are his energy, his desire, will to win, which is unbelievable. But above all, his goals. Um, he, wants, he wants all the responsibility to score. 
Now we kind of start to veer into the not quite so brave. He'll try to play left back, right back. Sometimes he does that too much instead of saving himself and his energy for what his teams need, the ball in the net. He needs to use his energy more effectively now as he's a player who likes to be up front on his own. And I don't think he's great with partnerships. Right. Um, yeah, which is, fairly, which is fairly harsh. I mean, it's an interesting thing for Scholes also to come out with because we see that Van Persie is clearly the, the centre forward for Manchester United at the moment. They've just appointed a manager that Van Persie works with internationally, who's got huge respect for him. And I'd be amazed if Louis Van Al was going to play Robin Van Persie anywhere other than as a centre forward. So that means Wayne Rooney can't play up front in his own and will have to play in a partnership, which Scholes is saying he's not good in. He then goes on to talk about how Rooney's been playing since he was uh, 16 years of age in 2003. Well, it's actually 2002. Uh, but he says, you know, he's played all these tournaments. You know, essentially, he says there's a chance he's worn out. Wayne's peak may have been a lot younger than what we'd expect of footballers traditionally. Age 28 or 29 has been the normal peak. With Wayne, it could have been when he scored 27 league goals in 2011-2012, when he was 26. So <laughs> there's skulls essentially saying that Manchester United may have just uh, given a five-year, 300 grand a, a week contract to a 28-year-old player who peaked uh, two or three years ago. Uh, skulls goes on to say Wayne might be a player who'd retire come 31 or 32, given the amount of football he's played. Well, I don't think that's going to be the case, given the number of years that are left in his contract, which may be the more salient uh, point in this case. But, uh, you know, I don't know whether whether Scholes is, is trying to needle Rooney into into playing amazingly for England. Does Scholes even really care how England do in the World Cup? I'm not really 100% convinced he does, but I'm sure Wayne Rooney wouldn't necessarily like to have heard Scholes. I mean, we, we heard Wilshire. Wilshire um, obviously was pretty upset about it. And he uh, ended up calling up Paul Scholes and kind of saying, listen, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of hurt by what you said. But, you know, because I've got so much respect for you. If you were a rubbish player, I wouldn't have cared what you said. But because I have a lot of respect, maybe you could tell me a few things like about what, what you think I need to do to improve. And apparently Scholes said, oh, you know, well, you know, I think you should do this, that. Wilshire didn't go into exactly what advice mm. he was given. But, you know, uh, just because they played together for many years, I don't think we'll sweeten this pill uh, from Wayne Rooney's point of view. Ken, I'm going to have to wrap you there because this is our third programme today. We've literally clogged up the internet with second captains at the Irish Times. It's all it's all filled now. So uh, thanks very much. That's the Champions League preview with Gabriele McCarty and Sid is out there already for you today. Benny Dunn and Morris O'Brien talk to us about the uh, Hurling Championship which gets underway. Well, the Hurling Championship proper if it's fair to say, it gets underway this weekend. And U.S. Murph on Indiana basketball. The names Bob Knight, Spike Lee and Gene Hackman. And Larry Bird, Larry Legend. Oh, the, the Hicks French Nick. Yeah, yeah, all those names feature uh, heavily in that conversation. So you can listen as usual on irishtimes.com forward slash second captains, iTunes, SoundCloud or the Podcast Republic app. That's uh, an app for Android users. It's a pretty good way to go. Thanks, Ken. Over in Lisbon, enjoy the Champions League final. Thanks a million, Alan. I'll uh, look forward to seeing all you guys on Monday. Thanks, Murph. Thanks, uh, Ken. Thanks, Owen. And uh, assuming that that uh, news horn doesn't sound again today, we won't talk to you later <laughs> on today. We'll chat to you soon, though. Take care. What's going on, is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those 